Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get to serve as our pastor of Central Ministries here at SMCC. And uh, really just glad that you were here joining us. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for listeners of this podcast because I think that you just hear it every week, and maybe it doesn't sound great or, or anything compelling. But I went to look at our, our, our downloads for this podcast, and over the lifetime of our, of our podcast here, we have... Uh, nearly just just shy of twenty two thousand downloads of this podcast. So thank you guys for for sharing and listening. Um, it really helps us out a lot. So we just really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really cool. I love that people want to join in on this conversation. And mm-hmm. Adam, by the way, good to have you back, man. Hope you had a I great trip back. Yeah. with your wife and uh, feel rested and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a good trip, and I'm glad Kyle could fill in, and now we're back at him. Adam, you said you didn't even listen to last week's podcast, so as the host, I feel like you probably <laughs> should give it a quick listen. What's funny is that I did listen to one when we were driving. Um, you guys did the episode on the Trinity. That mm-hmm. was great. And then for some reason, I just never circled back to listen to the next one we were driving again, so I got to catch yeah. up. Well, you got to yeah. drive home today so that'll be good yeah for you. There you um, go. uh you know also i don't know if the listener knows this adam tell them about the uh sort of our partner podcast to this one yeah i one thing that i've noticed because if you guys know me well maybe some of you do maybe some of you don't i i'm an avid podcaster i listen to podcasts more than anything else by far and i uh, i really wanted the opportunity for people to be able to listen to smcc messages our messages each week in their podcast app. Because if we're always asking you to go to a different app to on a different platform or to YouTube or whatever, like that can sometimes be cumbersome. So in your regular week of doing exercising at the gym or driving to work or whatever, you can add the messages podcast as well to this one, to your podcast app. Is it just SMCC messages? Yeah, if you just search SMCC even mm-hmm. or SMCC messages, Got you it. will find it. Nice big green logo. Perfect. And each week you will get the message. 30 minutes you can just listen to while you're doing your workout at the gym, whatever. Awesome. Yep. Sounds good. Well, today we are in the uh, fourth doctrinal statement at SMCC. And uh, guys, this is going to be a fun one today. I'm very, very excited about this. And... Um, Adam, do you want to read that for us, or Trevor, you want to read it for us? Trevor's got it in front of him, so I'm going right. to let him read it. I got it, it right here. Now, yep. uh, we're going to read it. Um, I'll give everybody uh, just the cue. This is about the Holy Spirit today. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and inside of that topic of conversation, we could go in about a million directions, so listeners, you might you might catch that. <laughs> this could be all <laughs> over the place today, from thoughts and feelings to charismatic and charismania stuff to um, the actual role of the Holy Spirit mm. in our lives to what's going on in the book of Acts, and is there a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what about the ghost thing? Why don't you guys call it that? I mean, this could go anywhere, and, yeah. I, and I'm pumped for that wild ride. I hope the listeners yeah. are too. And yeah. I'm, I'm prepared now. I've got it in front of me now. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say My favorite thing to do is tell you guys to do something when you're not prepared to do it. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Trevor's got it in front of him. I know she pulled this stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, someone read it. I got it. All right. So here's doctrinal statement number four for South Mountain Community Church. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Enabled to live a godly life. Man, this is... I, I want to just start there, actually. 
Guys, have you ever been in a situation, and we brought this up in the message, but have you ever been in a situation where you were responsible for something and accountable for something, but not capable to do that thing? I mean, just mm. think back. Maybe your boss said, I need this from you. You're like, I have no, I can't do it. Or a teacher or mm-hmm. your spouse or your kids or something. Like, yeah. I remember working on my car one day, and like, I was responsible and accountable because I was too deep into the project, but I had no idea how to, how to fix it. Like, I yeah. wasn't enabled to do it. That is miserable. When you're accountable... Uh, and responsible but not capable, you're miserable. And I think religion, for me at least, mm-hmm. was miserable. Because all I knew was I was supposed to be better than I was, mm-hmm. and I would try, but I couldn't make it, and I wasn't good enough, and I couldn't be like Jesus, and I couldn't be like the good Christian people around me. I was miserable. How could I live a godly life? It was impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of people feel that. Like, just be like Jesus. He's your example. And that just is a crushing expectation. Mm-hmm. What I love about this doctrinal statement is that the Holy Spirit enables us to live a godly life. We can, guys, you can, listeners, you can live a godly life because of the Holy Spirit in you. You can't on your own. And I think that, therefore, if we're accountable and responsible to live a holy life, a godly life, and that's what God does expect of us, what Jesus imputes to us the moment we trust Him, righteousness, and then the indwelling Holy Spirit enables us to then live a holy life, Mm -hmm. we can do this. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's really exciting and encouraging. We should be grateful mm. for that. So I just want to start there. If someone's struggling to follow Jesus and you know they're just wrestling with this and believing lies in their minds and struggling to read their Bible and struggling to pray and struggling to get to church on time, would you rest in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Ooh. Because I think the Holy Spirit will produce that type of fruit. We know that from Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit, and will enable us to live a godly life. That's built into this doctrinal statement. I think it's helpful and hopeful. So I just wanted to start with that. If you don't hear anything else, the Holy Spirit is our advocate, counselor, helper, helping us, paraclete, mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. alongside us mm-hmm. to help, help us live a godly life. So I'm done preaching. Yeah. Let's get back to podcasting. <laughs> yeah, it's very Trevor, where, where do you want to go next, man? Yeah, well, like you said, um, with this particular doctrine, it's almost like we're at a trailhead with 17 trails. Yes. And so <laughs> we're just going to let the Spirit lead. <laughs> <laughs> I saw what you did there. Yeah. We haven't prepared a bit for this because we really want to let the Holy Spirit lead. Exactly, exactly. The Spirit leads in the moment, not in preparation. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate your sarcasm. <laughs> if you can't see Trevor's face, that's actually not how the Holy Spirit operates. <laughs> Um, so I think one interesting thing would be to start off with uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, with this message, a lot of what we talked about was coming from the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the doctrine, a lot of the teaching that we have around the the way the Holy Spirit works with us uh, in this Christian life comes from the New Testament. Do we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Mm. Good question. I, yeah, that's, I think, probably a lot of people listening are asking that too. Like, is it just this thing they probably know of maybe, you know, an Acts and Pentecost of something happening. But it's like, what, what, what was going on before that, maybe? Yeah, and you know, I, I haven't thought through that in a while, Trevor. I appreciate that question. I If I'm, you know, riffing off the top of my head, I can think of moments where the Holy Spirit came upon somebody for a season or a moment or something special. But uh, And then I can think of moments where the Spirit of God dwelled inside a building. Mm-hmm. Did the Holy yeah, Spirit yeah. indwell a person in the way that the Holy Spirit does now for a Christian? Um, how, how would you take take me through that, man? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of say the same thing that you did, right? That we don't see the Holy Spirit operating in the same way mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament as we do in the New, where in the New Testament, right, we're at the moment of faith, we're sealed, uh, Ephesians 1, and mm-hmm. filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to be throughout 
the rest of our rest of our lives. Um, whereas in the Old Testament, you see the Spirit coming upon people. Like for example, Book of Judges, Samson, right? The guy mm-hmm. who's known for his strength mm. and uh, you know just ridiculous strength. I think it's kind of an interesting question. Was he like a muscly guy, or did he look? Like, did he look like me, but was still insanely strong, right? <laughs> I always thought he looked like, uh, what's that guy, Jason Momoa? Is that the oh, actor yeah. with the tattoo? Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah it's the Aquaman. It's yeah. uh, all, he's I always yeah. with the long hair. I yeah. always imagined he looked like that guy. But what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't like a muscly guy? That would be interesting. Like, he's like but, he's just a normal but guy, but he has like He looks like you two. It, well, yeah, he whoa. just looks like yeah. <laughs> Us three, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No one looks at normal, us and says, just, those guys are ripped. Just normal guys, yeah. The, uh, but he's like, wow, yeah. he can bench a lot he looks like yeah. gumby yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? but uh but you do see the the spirit the holy spirit um like coming upon samson giving him the holy spirit being the source of his like insane strength you see characters like bezalel and aholiab in the mm-hmm. book of exodus they were two craftsmen and artists who oversaw the building of the tabernacle um and even with the temple actually you see kind of the same language being given there when the temple was built to replace the tabernacle later on that the spirit of god gave them wisdom and the ability to really perform those crafts to be able to build both the tabernacle and the temple. And then you see the Spirit uh, present at creation, too, in the very beginning, uh, Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. So you see the Spirit definitely active, but not anywhere near uh, in the way that we do uh, in the New Testament, that the the Holy Spirit would come on people, would give them gifts and abilities, uh, but was not as present in an ongoing basis, Mm -hmm. not, not in a... Yeah, not in a continual way like in the New Testament. I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but, you know, I just want to make this real. Why do you think that was? I mean, if you had to... What, I don't think... Yeah. Uh, does the Bible tell us why that is? I mean, I'm just curious. I have an idea. Um, Trevor can tell me if I'm wrong or not. Uh, but in terms of how the Spirit was working differently, I mean, I really do think it comes down to what is it that... And and, what, and my favorite book in the Bible is Hebrews, just talking about what Christ did. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and really the change that was brought about before God indwelled in a place, now he indwells in his people, mm-hmm. and that was that came through Jesus. So yeah, I, I do think there's a distinct kind of break in how that operated and functioned because of what Jesus did, essentially. Yeah. Oh, I got something. That's All a right. great question. Okay. Okay, so a little biblical theology. Adam, everything you said was great. Just Thanks, Trevor. Take, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, uh, so sin, going back to the salvation podcast mm-hmm. and sermon, right? Our sin created separation between us and God. That's why the sacrificial system is brought about in the book of Leviticus, because you get to the end of Exodus, and uh, God's glory falls on the tabernacle that Moses finishes building, and he, he like can't really be in it. And so mm-hmm. the question is, like, how, how is a holy God going to dwell in the midst of a sinful people? How are they even going to be together? Right. Sacrificial system is the answer to that question. Of course, it's a flawed system right at, the, at its heart, because mm-hmm. the, the life of animals can't ever pay the debt of humanity's sin. Right. And so in the New Testament, when we place faith in Jesus, we are justified. So our sin, our guilt, our debt is wiped away, mm-hmm. restored to a state of innocence, and then also His justice, is, His righteousness is applied to us. So yep. we're, we stand before God as righteous, yeah. so our sin no longer separates us from God. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament actually talks about us as being the temple, mm-hmm. as like spiritual mm-hmm. stones in the temple of God. Yep. So the Holy Spirit no longer dwells in the tabernacle, in the temple, but dwells in the life of believers because we've been justified, made righteous, or yep. sin no longer separates us. Yep. And the place of the presence of God in this age is now actually us. I think that's the answer. I mean, I yeah. think in the Old Testament, you see the temple being prepared, and once it's prepared, this God coming and inhabiting it. And once the people mm-hmm. of God are prepared, then He can come and inhabit us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think yep. that is the logic there. 
Um, and so mm-hmm. it is you, what you said, Adam, about salvation being at the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is uh, a wonderful answer. That's, that's my mm-hmm. go-to answer. Thanks for helping me think through that, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about this? Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the Old Testament. Um, what about the book of Acts? Because if you build your theology of the Holy Spirit out of the book of Acts, you could come to some kind of wild concepts. Um, I think it's helpful to have these categories in mind. The book of Acts is describing a season in the life of the church, not prescribing what we should spe- should expect in the life of our church. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. in the book of Acts, Trevor, take us through the different ways we see the Holy Spirit coming in in the timeline of the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life. Because mm-hmm. if you take the timeline that you see in the book of Acts, like they believed and then a couple weeks or a couple months later they received the Holy Spirit, and you begin to think those are um, prescribing right, right, what right. we should expect, you might end up at a church that has some doctrinal statements like the second baptism of the Holy Spirit, has evidence with tongues, and evidence in charismatic expressions. Um, Trevor, how would you talk about the timeline and the Holy Spirit and the descriptive nature of the book of Acts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. I would say that um, you can look at the timeline and kind of derive a doctrine from that, uh, but mm-hmm. I think a, a better way to read the book of Acts, I think a more accurate way, is is getting at what were they actually wrestling with um, and how was the Spirit working in light of that. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things you see is that at the very beginning, they asked Jesus the question, like, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? That's the kingdom of Israel, right? And so mm-hmm. they're still thinking from kind of the Jewish perspective that Jesus is going to restore the kingdom of Israel, kind of overthrow Roman rule, exactly what they were thinking all along. And uh, so then you see that thought being changed and altered throughout the book, where chapter 2, the book of Acts, uh, Pentecost happens, fulfillment of Joel, uh, chapter Mm -hmm. 2, and the Spirit falls on believers who already were believers, right? They already were, yeah. Yeah, so they're filled with the Spirit. And I think what's happening there is it's setting a pattern uh, that they can then look back to to interpret their experience later on. Mm And so what you see later on is after Stephen is stoned, the church is scattered out of Jerusalem. They move into Samaria, which the Samaritans were kind of like uh, part Jewish, part Gentile. They're kind of in Mm -hmm. between. um, And the Spirit falls on them as well in the same way. And so it's confirmation that the Spirit, uh, that this gospel, this good news of Jesus, this invitation to trust in Him Mm -hmm. is going beyond even the Jewish people into the Samaritans, which, were, again, were like a half step between Jewish and Gentile. Mm-hmm. And then you see the same thing happening with actual uh, full-on Gentile people who are ethnically are not Jewish in Acts chapter 10 with Peter. And then as they go on to kind of have conversation about this, uh, even in like chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, they're confirming that, uh, much to their surprise, that they, they, they didn't expect this, the gospel message about Jesus, the good news, is an invitation to people to believe in and trust Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, even beyond the Jewish people, beyond the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And the the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is actually the thing that was demonstrating that to them. And yeah. so I think it was, it was an affirmation that God was working uh, across ethnic boundaries in ways that they did not expect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rather than, than it being a pattern of first... A, a pattern in the first century of how salvation works in our individualistic lives. It's not a pattern of how salvation uh, works in our individualistic lives. It's a pattern in a first century way that evidences salvation. So yeah. it's not. It's not. This is what you can expect in your salvation. 
it's the Holy Spirit arriving at this time and in this way was evidence of their salvation. Right. And I think that's really important because of the context that you just set up, Trevor. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were so shocked that salvation was coming to the Gentiles, and they needed a first century piece of evidence right. that would give the stamp of approval on their salvation. What would that be? What could you think of? Is it a baptism video on the big screen in church? Well, that can't be it. They didn't have that. Uh, what what would be the best type of evidence of the, their salvation in the first century? Uh, of course, um, for us now in our century, one of the best evidences of our salvation is the way we live our lives, the fruit that comes from a changed life, the fruits of the Spirit. But yeah. in the first century, it was evidenced through these miraculous moments with the Holy Spirit, and that is wonderful evidence. Mm-hmm. So whenever you read the book of Acts and you think, well, their baptism of the Holy Spirit was later, do I need a later baptism to get the Holy Spirit? No. Remember, mm-hmm. this is evidencing their salvation. It is not what we should expect to know that we are saved because we have other information now. Yeah, I just want to just kind of make sure everybody's on the same page uh, with what we think is most helpful um, in looking at some, let's just say, Acts or some of these other uh, passages in the New Testament. Uh, I think especially with Acts, it's, it's, uh, it's recording what happened. And so when you say that's descriptive, it is. It's describing what happened, and you're and what you're saying also with that is sometimes people will read it as prescriptive. Here's what should happen mm-hmm. every time, but I think when we read Acts, we don't necessarily we really see it's writing to somebody saying, "I want to convince you of something that's happened." And let me just tell you what happened, mm-hmm. but it's not mm-hmm. written in a letter to say, "Now expect to do this." Here's instruction. Here's yeah. blah blah blah. So that's very. You know, hopefully just that distinction is clear. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I hope that's clear. Yeah, we should not read the book of Acts and think this is outlining the plan of salvation in my life. First I say this, I hear this, I believe this, and then later on I get the Holy Spirit. It, it, that was not it. It was a different context, and therefore the Holy Spirit was serving a purpose uniquely uh, crafted for that purpose. And mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the New Testament describes it in a different way. So, of course... Are we going to think, well, this contradicts that? No. Contextually, they just had different... Uh, there's just different realities happening in those mm-hmm. two those two moments. Anything else from Acts before we move on to things like mm-hmm. revival and speaking in mm-hmm. tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think one last thing would be um, Acts chapter 19. At the very end of it, or actually very beginning, you see Paul in Ephesus, and he meets some of these... They call them disciples, mm-hmm. and uh, then they kind of... They receive the baptism... Uh, they receive the Holy Spirit and uh, begin to speak in tongues. And that one, there would be some questions raised around it, because it's like, well, they're disciples, right? What's what's happening here? It's so much later on. And I think the truth is, when you look deeper into the conversation, you see that they were disciples of John, and the only baptism that they had received was John's baptism. Mm-hmm. And John's baptism wasn't a baptism of belief in Jesus. It wasn't a baptism of, uh, you know, symbolic of a person's union with Jesus, submitting to him as their ultimate authority. It was a baptism of repentance to prepare for the Messiah, who could be Jesus, could be someone else. Mm-hmm. And so they were waiting for the Messiah, and uh, the, what, what we see happening in the conversation is they come to understand that the Messiah they were baptized in preparation for actually is Jesus. They place faith in him, and uh, you kind of see the, the confirmation happening in the same way there. So that is uh, something... It, it's. Um, I think it's just helpful to dive into that and to see that they weren't believers beforehand. Right. That's yeah. good. That's good. Mm-hmm. So let's just pause right here. Um, you know, if you haven't listened to the message, there's things in that message that are foundational to today's uh, podcast. 
about the Holy Spirit being a person, not a cosmic force, cosmic energy, or ooze. Um, and I, I just want to say this, because if you missed the message, um, this is one of the most important things that, to me that people understand about the Holy Spirit. And, and that is um, dealing with this tension. Jesus is not right in front of me, so how can I follow someone I can't see? Right? This is a tension. It's easy to think, well, if I lived in the first century and Jesus was right in front of me turning water into wine, I'd follow him. I'd be a Christian then. Um, but now, I, how do I follow somebody I literally cannot see? And the answer to that question is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates for us and helps us see all of all the things about Jesus, his, his, his majesty, his goodness, and his greatness, so that although we can't see him physically with our eyes, we see him for who he really is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what takes Christianity, which admittedly is a faith that follows uh, a first century historical figure who is raised to life now and makes it incredibly personal. And this is why millions of people across the globe can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's because of the indwelling of the third person of the Trinity, and therefore mm-hmm. Christianity is incredibly mm-hmm. personal. So Jesus at one yeah. point says, it's better that I'm going away. To which if you're those guys, you're thinking, how is it better that I'm going away? Well, one author says, and I'll recommend a book, J.D. Greer, Jesus Continued. He says this, um, the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus in front of you. Because actually, from the inside out, you have the motivation to change and the motivation to follow mm. because of the, mm. the Holy Spirit's work uh, in your life. And so I think that's, that's really important to, to mention at this point. So yeah. um, I, hope, I hope that's encouraging to, uh, to people. Now, mm-hmm. SMCC is not a charismatic church. Can you guys describe a charismatic? Trevor, you're a, you were a charismatic for a little while. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the, the hallmarks of a charismatic movements or churches for a bit, just so people know what that means. Because a lot of our listeners have only ever been to South Mountain. Yeah, maybe, they, yeah. maybe they saw something charismatic on the YouTube one time. On the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, but, but there are you know, charismatic churches everywhere. What are some of the hallmarks? Yeah, yeah. I would say, uh, like doctrinally speaking, a couple of the hallmarks of, of charismatic churches would be... Um, that the there is a second baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that is okay. a thing. That's a reality. And you receive it in order to be empowered for ministry and for a godly life. So basically, mm-hmm. you don't have all of the resources that you need to live a godly life or to engage in ministry. When you until, believe. until When you believe. You yeah. don't have it yet. Right. You don't have that until you've received the second baptism. Oh. Um, and you know you've received this. So it's kind of two parts of the doctrine. That's the first part that it exists. The second part is that there is uh, an evidence that you've received it, and that is speaking in tongues right? in the form of like a, a prayer language that basically is syllables that uh, are not, they're not any human language. right? Yeah, and when you've done that, you've received the baptism in the Spirit, you're enabled and empowered for ministry and for mm-hmm. living a godly life. Those are the two doctrinal things. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then what's a service like? Uh, it, can, it can vary from church mm-hmm. to church, um, usually less predictable, perhaps yeah. a little more wild, yeah. a little more, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it can... I don't want to use pejorative terms, but how yeah. would you describe that? Yeah, I think, I think in the most honoring way, I think, uh, I think there's kind of two ways to get at it. There's like the broader life of the church. How does this doctrine play out? How can it play out? And then mm-hmm. also within the life or with, just within services. Yeah. Within services, sometimes people, I think, will just pray uh, in that language while they're kind of hearing the music, yeah. and uh, that, that'll be, instead of singing the lyrics, they'll do that. Um, but then a, kind of a more, um, a more hard-to-miss uh, demonstration would be, like, there'll be a moment where the music will go quiet, and someone will just shout out 
uh, not not someone from the stage, but just someone in monk, like sitting in the in the pews or the chairs, will shout out in a language like that uh, that it sounds like gibberish. It's yeah. kind of like nonsense. Mm-hmm. And essentially, there's supposed to be someone else there who takes that and interprets it into a language and a meaning that everyone else can hear. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if we have time today, guys, to cover um, our explanation of tongues. We did that in the last uh, podcast. Uh, last first, season. Yeah, yeah, last season of the podcast, First Corinthians. Um, but essentially, and I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, although there's some holes here, so we don't have time to walk through the whole argument. But that tongues in the New Testament is a language that was known to the listener but unknown to the speaker. And so a tongue was a known language. It just wasn't known by the person saying it. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it so miraculous, is that someone could hear the gospel in their language. And of course, the Apostle Paul wants everybody to speak in tongues, meaning I wish everybody had the ability to share the gospel in a language they don't know, because that would be the gospel spreading. Um, um, I think when he talks about the uh, can you know speak in the tongues of angels, I don't actually think he's talking that about there actually being a tongue of angels. I think he's using hyperbole. If this were even possible, not saying that it is, but if it were even possible, love would still be better. And so mm-hmm. uh, at SMCC, we of course say, hey. We want to humbly approach this issue. There are people who come to SMCC who do pray in tongues, and they are welcome to attend. But our services are structured differently. Our services are structured with predictability with the guest in mind because we feel like that's the most loving thing to do for this context. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday, and we want to remove every obstacle, every barrier, not make it difficult for people who are coming to God from the Jerusalem Council in the Book of Acts. And therefore, we think that type of charismatic expression would be confusing to the person who's coming in trying to investigate Christianity, which, of course, is Paul's concern, too. If you speak in tongues, and people are going to think you're drunk, and it's 9 in the morning, all right? Like, that's his concern, too. He expects there to be non-Christians in the room. And if there's non-Christians in the room in our century, our services should be planned. And so we plan out everything in our services. And some people might say, you're not giving room for the Holy Spirit to work, to which I say... The Holy Spirit could work in every bit of the planning. And by the way, let's remember the role of the Holy Spirit, which is to be a floodlight ministry to Jesus. Mm. So some people say SMCC is not a Holy Spirit-filled church. I think those people misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's comfortable being in the background as long as Jesus is in the foreground. Back to the Trinity talk, that's subordination inside of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, because of how much we magnify Jesus, preach Jesus, talk about Jesus, worship Jesus we actually would say we are very much a Holy Spirit-filled church. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So not a charismatic church, Holy Spirit-filled church, with that understanding of the role of the, the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, in mind. Um, now, often in charismatic churches, it's, it's normal to hear about like revival, like there's going to be a revival or the Holy Spirit's going to break out like the wind. And I think just language has made the doctrine of the Holy Spirit challenging for people. Wind is something you feel and experience, but you can't see. And therefore, sometimes the Holy Spirit is talked about like wind, like a rushing wind. That's actually biblical, that imagery, Um, because you see its effects, but you can't see it. And so, um, or at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Was it as a dove or like a dove, Trevor? What do you think? Do you have thoughts on whether there was an actual bird or was there just this powerful thing that people could somehow experience. You have thought any thought on that off the top of your head? Was there an actual dove? And while you think about that, I'll just say this. The Bible is using word pictures to powerfully communicate 
things that are absolutely true about the Holy Spirit, but the picture is not the truth, right? The picture is not, it's a word picture. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? It's communicating something true. The heart of the truth that's being communicated is not the picture. Mm -hmm. You tracking with me? When I say, guys, I was sweating bullets last week, it's a picture (laughs) of the intensity of what I was experiencing. There weren't really bullets falling from my head. Um, And so I think Holy Spirit is described like that because of the challenging nature of finding words to describe the third person of the Trinity, an immaterial being who is yet personal. Right. So anyways, thoughts, Trevor? Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I think think the last thing I'd, I'd... maybe throw in there is just the way that uh, that idea of a second baptism in the Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, how that can kind of play out in the broader life of a church, kind of Monday through Friday, is I think it can place a lot of pressure on people to feel like they're kind of like a second-class Christian until Man, they've yeah. received that, uh, and like they're not able to live a godly life, that they don't, they don't have the resources that they need to do what's expected of them until they've received mm-hmm. that. And some people have prayed for years and years and years in the context of a church that teaches that and never received it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, a lot of people. And yeah. so uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do with that, yeah. right? If it's something that God desires for people to have, then why? Um, yeah, then yeah, I think what's also interesting is that in, um, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, Paul acknowledges that not everyone is going to have the same spiritual gift. Yeah. Right. And so why why is there an expectation that everyone would receive the same one? Yeah. yeah. And, and the New Testament does talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but that baptism is, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is the, the, the mechanism. He is the instrument that places us into Christ. It's not a separate baptism where we receive the Holy Spirit in a new way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation to place us into Christ. And I think that's what's important to think about. If you read the baptism of the Holy Spirit from a charismatic perspective, and you read that back into the Bible, you think there's a second baptism. But if you read what the Bible says in context, that we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this placing into Christ, and that's the work of the Spirit in our lives at salvation. So I think that's helpful um, to think about um, as we have this topic, yeah, at hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, something else I wanted to say about... uh, you know, revival. You know, a lot of churches pray for revival, a move mm-hmm. of the Spirit. And that can be a little bit misleading. You know, uh, there's some worship songs that say, Holy Spirit, come, we invite mm-hmm. you now. You know, move in like the wind. And um, man, that, those can just be confusing. I don't know if they're always theologically wrong, but they're definitely theologically unclear. Mm-hmm. And Tim Keller has a great quote about revival. Um, and so he says this, Revival is the intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. All right, intensification of the normal operations of the Spirit, which then he like says that. are conviction of sin, regeneration, and sanctification. Sanctification is what we're talking about. He enables us to live a godly life. That is sanctification. Regeneration, that's the, that's the indwelling at salvation. That's the regeneration moment Assur- and assurance of salvation. We talked about in the sermon, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to comfort us with salvation, mm. which is mm. so important. Uh, and look at what he says. He says, through the ordinary means of grace... The ordinary means of grace, which to him are preaching the word, prayer, worship, the normal stuff that we do on Sunday mornings. Revival yeah. is just an intensification of the normal operations that happen through those through those things. So yeah. I prefer to talk a lot about renewal versus revival. I just think that's a that's a helpful way to think through it. And so it's probably more clear. Yeah. So yeah. we and the Holy Spirit's renewing people all the time. So we expect renewal, we operate as normal. 
and we trust God with the abnormal. He yeah. can intensify it as he as he desires. So. Yeah, and I like I've I've heard uh, maybe if you've ever had a conversation with Pastor Paul. He talked about I think it was the time in the seventies, if I'm recalling correctly, that was just a very uh, kind of like the Jesus movement. I'm going to butcher it, but there was lots of young people coming to know Jesus, and um, so by your definition. Yeah, that'd be revival, renewal, whatever you want to call it. It's the same functions, mm-hmm. um, conviction of sin, right? Um, so anyways, th- those things can maybe happen. Yeah, just an intent. What'd you say, an intensified? Uh, yeah, intensification of the yeah. normal operations of the Holy Spirit. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I pray for renewal all the time. Uh, revival, though, in a charismatic sense is like this. Uh, it's not the normal operations. It's the Spirit doing something completely abnormal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, God can do whatever he wants. We trust mm-hmm. him with that. Sure. We can't force that, though. Yeah. It, it can kind of, it can go into a spot where it's not healthy, where it feels like we're conjuring or we're manipulating or we're twisting the arm of like, oh, if I just say this right and we do this right, then 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 this is the result we will achieve. Yeah. Yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about our feelings. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who say, I, I really felt God today. Mm-hmm. You know, I, one time, uh, my favorite episode of The Office Pam says, I feel God in this Chili's tonight. I was like, what yeah, does God yeah. in the Chili's feel yeah. like? Um, feels like margaritas. You know, that's what it feels like. So what role, <laughs> let's just think about this. What role do our feelings play? Mm-hmm. Maybe just in our lives in general, but um, also in what role do our feelings play in appreciating the role of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, mm-hmm. let me even just tack on to that. Something that's so common, um, just in Christianese, air quotes, that... Um, is, yeah, I mean, the worship, let's just say this this phrase, the worship was so powerful today, I really felt the spirit moving. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, what is being said? Yeah, what is being said there? Usually the music's loud, the singer's really good, and the room's really full. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm being sarcastic. I can predict, I've been doing church long enough to know that when I hear comments like that, there were mm-hmm. other things going on. Sure. I've been around church long enough. I've been, and I've also been around places where it's like, ah, oh, it's just a rough day in church. Well, yeah, the musician messed up, and the room was kind of empty, and, um, you know, you were up late last night, so you're grumpy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yes. So let's just say this. Our feelings are never an indicator of what's true. They are mm. responding to what's true. They are a gauge of our response to truth. Um, but feelings, uh, they, they're a gauge, not a guide. And so um, our feelings should, of course, be responding to the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is at work in our feelings. But it's not our feelings that tell us what the Holy Spirit, whether the Holy Spirit was present or not mm. uh, in our lives. And so often people say it's a feeling that will tell you something's true or not, whether God's real or not. Mm. Use your feelings as evidence of something. I call that uh, anecdotal doctrine. And we talked about that in the mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. It's I know something's true because of what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the flip side, a better approach is to embrace doctrine that is um, aligned with truth, to have your core beliefs based in reality, based in truth, and then allow that truth to be the filter through which you evaluate your feelings and your experiences. Mm. And that's just a much better way to go. And so instead of saying, I don't think God was there today because I didn't feel him, we should say, well, the New Testament says the Holy Spirit lives in me. And so maybe I need to remind my mind and my heart, my feelings, of what's true. And doesn't matter how many people are in the room. doesn't matter how great or not great the music is. I'm going to worship today, and I'm going to connect with God. And I'm going to 
challenge my feelings to come along with what's true and align with mm. what's true rather than make my truth for the world align with my feelings. And I yeah. think um, that's really, really important that we get that right. Because for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit has been equated to or, you know, watered down to my feelings. And that is, yeah. that's just inaccurate. Yeah. So. I appreciated the question that you asked in the message too. Do you evaluate your story by your beliefs? Do you evaluate your beliefs by your story? It's yeah. a good way to sum that yeah. up. Yeah, anecdotal doctrine. Um, I hope that's a phrase that kind of sticks in people's minds. That keep mm-hmm. it in your toolbox because we know what it's like to um, feel the temptation to tweak what we believe because of what we were, we've gone through and experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm hurting right now. God must be absent. Yeah, that's right. that's anecdotal doctrine. But that's yeah. not true. He's mm-hmm. he's with those in the valley. He's with those who are suffering. Or yeah. or. Um, you know what, I don't think prayer works because I prayed for this and it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's anecdotal doctrine. You're using your story to determine your beliefs about prayer. Yeah. Um, that's not how we should go about uh, our lives. And so um, the Holy Spirit is a person, makes Christianity, following Jesus, incredibly personal. He is not feeling, he is not ooze, he is not energy, he is not a yeah. force. He is very powerful. He is a person, not yeah. an impersonal power. And I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. important to remember. So, so one thing to just kind of... Um, kind of sum that up is I think that some people can mishear or misinterpret what's being said here and that we're trying to downplay your feelings or emotions. It's more of just understanding emotions in light of truth. It's not saying, hey, emotions are bad. Feeling this is a bad thing. Um, Feeling is bad, right? That's not what's being said. But to recognize its purpose uh, in truth and reality, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, just helping to make sure that's understood well. That's that's what we want. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, because people have overemphasized their feelings, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we can tend to underemphasize our feelings and become mechanical robots. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not healthy either. It's mm-hmm. just having these things ordered correctly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that correct order is um, my, you know, my beliefs about the world lead to my thinking. My thinking leads to my feeling, and my feeling leads to my behaving. And I think that process, that trajectory, maybe it's a little too linear, but that type of process I think is is helpful um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. versus I feel something, now I'm going to create a belief around it, and now I'm going to go behave based on how I feel, which only reinforces what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's been in some bad dating relationships, struggled mm-hmm. with sexual sin, has lived mm-hmm. lived those lies. And um, yeah. I don't want people living in lies anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing we have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, as our paraclete, our advocate, combats those lies. So... Um, I think we could talk about just maybe one more really, really important thing, and that is uh, the Holy Spirit's role in convincing us of truth or illuminating the Bible. So, um, Trevor, just maybe kick us into that subject a little bit with the Holy Spirit's role in lighting up truth, not revealing new secret information. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that is um, in the way that Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, um, kind of in the upper room discourse, uh, John... Uh, which 14, 14 to 16. 14 is where it starts, and then in 16 he keeps going, yeah. Yeah, talks about the role of the Holy Spirit as leading them into all truth, uh, leading us into all truth. And so part of the role of the Holy Spirit, there's actually a really interesting, I think it's in second, first chapter of Second Corinthians 2 that gets at this in okay. a really interesting way, that the, the Holy Spirit is actually what enables us to um, understand what the, what the Bible is actually teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, into understanding what, um, 
yeah, what, what the Bible is actually teaching, yeah. uh, leading us further into that. You know, I had this little sticky statement Sunday in the message, and uh, it is cheesy, so forgive me, but it is so clear, if you can remember this, what Jesus supplies, the Holy Spirit, anybody? Applies. <laughs> Meaning, Jesus is the one who has supplied the truth. Yeah. Uh, he supplies that. He has spoken. The Holy Spirit applies it, lights up that truth for us, illuminates it. Um, and there is new insight that the Holy Spirit can help us into, mm-hmm. new insight about old truth, truth that Jesus has already said. But the Holy Spirit is not interested in sharing new information, new mm. secret information through new secret thoughts and feelings and prophets through the YouTube, you know? I keep going back to that. <laughs> but I think that's, I mean, I think that stuff is out there. You know, the Spirit spoke to me and told me this. Yeah. Okay, if anybody ever says that to you, you should probably run or at least ask, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Because the Holy Spirit is making a big deal about Jesus and what Jesus has already said. That's this uh, work of illuminating yeah. uh, the Bible for us. And so um, new insight, deeper clarity, um, but not new information. Yeah, because I think you can get into some really dangerous territory there. Because if if the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, speaking something to you, then... Uh, right, Holy Spirit, fully God. That means God is telling you something, mm-hmm. and therefore, I, I think you have to put that in the category of revelation, and then ask, where does that line up with the other revelation that we have? Is this more authoritative, as authoritative, less authoritative than the Bible? Mm-hmm. And how do we, how do we, how do you filter that, right? Yeah. And, and I think sometimes people will say they'll even they'll instead of actually, uh, you know, seeking to understand the revelation that we've already been given in the Bible better, mm-hmm. they'll just kind of rely on that, and mm, yeah. uh, I. Th- I think that can lead to some pretty dangerous things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the bottom line of Sunday's message is pretty straightforward. It was don't let your story shape your doctrine. Let this doctrine shape your story. Mm-hmm. And I think when you build your life on the core conviction that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, convicting you of sin, combating your sin, convincing you of truth, comforting you of salvation, curating gifts in you for the local church, um, it will change how you live your life. And Christians don't believe that the Holy Spirit's doing that because we like the way it sounds or just seems cool. And, you know, I'm afraid of the dark, so I need the Holy Spirit somehow helping me through it. It's that this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus promised. This is what is evidenced in the Bible. Um, And I think that that is such a comforting reality. And, of course, you're going to ask, well, why did Jesus want to do it this way? It's so that the millions of people across the world who cannot see him face-to-face can follow him as if they could see him face to face. It makes Christianity that personal. Mm-hmm. The, the role of the Holy Spirit makes Christianity that, that personal. Um, let's wrap up with this. This is always a fun one. Adam, is the Holy Spirit, is he a ghost or a person mm. or a spirit? Like, how do, you, how do you walk through ghost, spirit, third person of the Trinity? Like, how, do, how does that language... Well, first, did you grow up in a church that was ghost or spirit? Uh, you know, really, primarily, I think I've always grown up understanding it as the Holy Spirit, um, just in my church experience. Yeah, so in my church experience, I uh, I say I didn't grow up in church. There was like a year of our life where we went like half the time, and I just zoned out in the back. Um, but do you know what our church was called? The Church of the Holy Spirit. Hey, there um, you go. It was an Episcopal church, though. <laughs> oh, interesting. So you okay. would assume, very charismatic at the old Church of the Holy Spirit. No, it was Episcopal, it was, you know, high church, um, sort of the uh, 
Anglican the English expression maybe of the Catholic Church, but do you have uh, like a like the like the swinging ball and the chain and yep. the burning incense? Yeah, all yeah. That so I I was actually this is just my personality. I was like, well, I'm bored sitting here. I might as well do something to make the time go by faster. And uh, the leftover communion it couldn't be wasted. So the acolyte oh. boys, the altar boys, that's the Catholics call them, the acolytes got to eat the extra the bread. Yep. And I was like, mm-hmm. well. I'm going to keep myself busy and get some food out of the deal. Yeah. So I actually wore the white robe and walked through the processional and, uh, and was a part of this. You know, the, the, the priest, she was, she's a female. Uh, she couldn't waste the wine. So if it was a small day in church, she was chugging you guys. Yeah. She was down in that wine. And that was, uh, I'm now going to forget what that's called, but that's the belief that that is actually Christ's body. Yeah, I think uh, in the... In the transubstantiation. I was yes, going to say it, and then trans, I thought that's not it, but tran, transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Right? Yeah. You sound really smart. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I went to the Church of the Holy Spirit, so I was a Holy Spirit type of, you know, that was the word I always knew. So Holy Ghost was always really scary to me. Trevor, were you around ghost or spirit? Uh, yeah, same, kind of same as you. Didn't really grow up in the church. There was like a year or so in elementary school where we went uh, to a congregational church, and I want I don't really remember, but I, if I had to guess, I would guess spirit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so in the message, we walked through the, the distinction, but um, essentially it's only of the modern English translations, the King James Version, that translates um, pneuma, the Greek word for spirit, into ghost 90 times and seven times the kjv translates it spirit which for the life of me i can't understand mm-hmm. why the swap on those seven right um but the thing that's important to remember is that during the era of shakespeare you know a few hundred years ago uh ghost was a good word for an immaterial um being mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so ghost made sense it wasn't necessarily well not at all referring to a deceased you know, the, the, the soul of a deceased individual or the presence of a deceased individual. But that's what ghost means for us. And so just got to remember that in language, language is always shifting meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, ghost it has come to mean something that pneuma, the Greek word for spirit, does not mean. Additionally, the KJV, King James Version, is translated from the Latin. And in Latin, the word for spirit is gas, G-A- G-H-A-S-T. And so they go with ghost because it's a lot closer to that. However, we have older translations of the New Testament to go back to. We can go back to the Greek and pneuma, immaterial being, um, is much better translated spirit. So Mm. um, because of the changes in language and because of, um, I think, the best translation of immaterial being, spirit is the word to go with. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're ever wondering the difference between ghost and spirit, it's more in the translation than, than anything. Mm-hmm. There are people who use ghost who mean the exact same thing as spirit, Holy right. Ghost, Holy Spirit. They can't mean the exact same thing. There are people who use Holy Ghost and mean something completely different. Um, and so I just think it's helpful to use the best word we have to get at the core of the word, um, and that is spirit. So hopefully that breakdown um, gives people like, ah, oh, I, I didn't know that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. There we go, guys. Anything left on the... I mean, we could talk for, for hours we on could. the Holy Spirit, but mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to leave off. And, uh, of course, go back and listen to the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just want to say this. Enjoy. Enjoy the role of the Holy Spirit in your life if you are a Jesus follower. Mm. Find yeah. rest in it. Yeah, find rest in it. Be grateful. Worship the Holy Spirit for mm-hmm. his, his work in your life. So mm-hmm. um, any final words, boys, before we sign off? No. Trevor, yeah. you're flipping your Bible over there like yeah. you've got some Well, to that end, you word. say enjoy the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I was yeah. going to say, I feel like a good way to close would be just by like Galatians 5, 22, 23, yep. what are the qualities that the Spirit actually produces in mm. our life? And to that end, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. I mm. like it. I cool. like it. All right, Adam. Yeah, take us home. we'll send us send you guys home. Uh, thank you guys for being here, listeners. Thank you for being here. And as you heard, you know, just uh, really just excited about how much uh, has been done on this podcast and how many people are listening to it. So if you can and have not already, leave a review. If you haven't already, subscribe to the SMCC Messages podcast as well. That helps us out a ton. And as well, make sure to follow us on social media. Uh, that's a great thing you can do to help us too. Again, doesn't cost you anything, but uh, makes a big difference. And so I'm just really appreciative that you guys are here for this, uh, this season. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.